We serve a mighty God. Hallelujah. Let's give him great praise on this Wednesday night. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. All heaven and earth bows before you, and we lift you up. We exalt you. Hallelujah. You're the only one worthy of praise. You are the only one worthy of my praise. Somebody give him glory here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. One more time all across this building. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Wednesday night. Amen. We want to add one more announcement that uh, we want to make mention of. Let's not forget Pentecost Sunday is coming up. That is May 28th, and so we're going to have Renovate, a conference uh, that myself and Brother Riley and Sparks kind of felt uh, Northern Nevada needed a, needed a conference to break the strongholds in our area, and we both felt that Pentecost weekend would be a great time to do that. And so we're going to have Renovate that Friday night, and then we're going to come right back here for a Holy Ghost explosion at 1.30 p.m. Uh, I would encourage you to bring everybody and anybody that you know that does not have the Holy Ghost. And I believe God is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh and that God's going to do that. Amen. And so we want to let you know that that'll be, we're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost. We're also going to have uh, ARC Chorale is going to be singing at that. So, amen. We might just have a Holy Ghost explosion. And if the Lord wants to take over, amen, I'm all about it in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. Good to be in God's house with God's people. Amen. If, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of John chapter 5 and verse 39. Amen. As is our custom, I'll have you read one verse, but this might be the last time I have you read a verse while standing. I have felt to do this for the last five years and been praying uh, for the right timing to teach the entire Bible to the entire church. There's many that I asked last week who has received a Bible study outside of a Wednesday night or a Sunday outside of a salvation-based Bible study. And uh, there's some that raise their hands, and I ask who has not. You know, and, uh, and, and what's there's no shame in that. If you've never received a Bible study, you're about to get one here tonight. Amen. And so uh, we, we look at that and see the, the necessity of teaching Bible studies because how somebody is one, I think, makes just as big of a difference of the fact that they are one. Because people replicate what they have experienced. And uh, if you showed up to church and just walked in the doors, your expectation of revival will be that they just walk in the doors. If you were born in the apostolic church, your thought process might be all of the times you've come to church and seen people walk on the doors or mom and dad brought you. But when you receive a Bible study, it makes, or you get picked up for church, somebody gives you a ride, it helps you to propagate that. And, uh, and ultimately, it's that discipleship process that helps us to make disciples. And so I want to endeavor to start every one of us. You might be 10, 15, 3,000 generation Pentecost. But I want to welcome everybody to new converts class. Amen. Praise God. Brother, do you have the slide up there? Well, the, the, the whole slide. You can just pull the slide up. Amen. Now, I'm not used to preaching with a slide, so forgive me if I mess something up. I'm used to teaching Bible studies uh, and, and using that. Now, I can't wait for somebody to update and get us a a brand new uh, image for this Search for Truth Bible study. Maybe somebody gets a burden that's an artist. Uh, but we're going to use what they got. Amen. If we can magnify that. Is that all the way up? Amen. Where I can switch it from. Okay, let's see. There we go. Let's see if I can. Well, no. I don't think that's. We're going to figure this out real quick, folks. Because right now I'm getting a lazy. There we go. Well, we'll go back. We can go back. It's starting to play the, starting to play the slideshow. Let's go all the way back. Um, well, Hallelujah. 
Brother, you just started all the way back at the beginning. Let's read John chapter 5, verse 30. Now, we'll figure this out. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He said, I want you to search the scriptures, because when you search the scriptures, you're going to find me in there. We're going to find Jesus all the way through the Bible. Amen. And uh, we're going to do lesson one. We're going to talk about the Bible. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Vince Lombardi, for those that are sports fans, is a celebrated coach in the NFL. And he begins every season by drilling his players down before they do one drill or anything. It was July of 1961 and 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training. In the previous season, they had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered the late lead in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now training camp had finally arrived. And it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win the championship this year. Their coach had a different idea. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, as he was holding up a pigskin in his right hand, he said, this is a football. He took nothing for granted and began the tradition of starting from scratch assuming the players were a blank slate who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He was, as he was coaching, each player reviewed and went through all of, their, uh, all of the things that he taught them from the fundamentals. And in the midst of this, one of the players said, Coach, you're going a little too fast for us. Can you slow down? Making a joke out of it. But he kept on teaching the basics. And that year, they won 37-0. to zero. Brothers and sisters... This is a Bible. Well, I've been saved for 400 years. This is a Bible. This is your roadmap for everything that you will become in the kingdom of God. This Bible will tell you everything that you need to know to make it to heaven. This Bible will tell you everything you know to live a godly life. This Bible will tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says that he is the express image of the invisible God. I want to tell you, when you read this Word, you are getting the Word of God written down, and you are seeing the expression of the invisible God. So this is more than just a textbook. Amen. This is the Word of God. As you hold the Bible and you thumb through it here tonight, I'm going to talk to us very basically, the very basics. Some would say, well, Pastor, I, I know all this. I want to tell you, I hope that we can all come with that mindset that says, I want to learn more. Uh, as we thumb through the Bible, we find in its pages wonder that distinguishes it from others books, other books. It is definitely different. Amen. If we can go to the next slide, brother, because I don't think, there we go. Well, go back. There we go. We're going to make this work eventually. Amen. There we go. I think that's it. Amen. It is different. At first glance, the line, uh, the storyline appears to be incomplete. Its many short chapters and numbered verses lend themselves to rigid reading. Its language is not easy to understand upon the first reading. Anybody that's ever read their Bible for the first time? you know that it can be a little of, bit of a daunting task. There's a lot to it. I held this up, and some people thought that they, they maybe have barely ever read a comic book. There's no way I'm going to read that. I want to tell you, before this Bible study's done, I believe everybody's going to have a Bible, amen, and they're going to be reading it. As you look through this, though, if we look closer, this is not one single book, but rather it's a collection of books and letters, more like a library. This is God's library for us. Some messages are so brief that they could be copied onto a single page of paper, while others are expansive. Why is your Bible listed Old Testament and New Testament when the entire book's old? Anybody ever thought that, wondered? Why is part of it old and part of it new? 
The word testament refers to a document disclosing the will of a departed person. It is a covenant, and covenant simply means a contract or an agreement between two persons. The Old Testament is a covenant, an agreement that God made with man about salvation before Jesus Christ came into the world. The New Testament is God's covenant with man about salvation after Christ came. Therefore, the entire Bible is composed of two major covenants between God and man. Our responsibility is to explore their wonderful terms, provisions, and conditions. Amen. In order to get everything that that testament, anybody ever heard of a will, last will and testament? When somebody dies, that's exactly what this is saying. That upon the death of the individual that has written the will and testament, you now get the inheritance. The Old Testament has some rules and regulations for us to stand by if we want to inherit the, the will and testament of the Old Testament. Amen. The, the, all of the good and blessing that come along with it. And in the New Testament, there are some things it undoes and it fulfills from the Old Testament. And now it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the, the, each testament. Each testament is divided into five sections. In the Old Testament, we see that it begins with the law. Amen. Well, we'll get... <laughs> Now there's, now there's other things going on with this. Praise God. Each Testament, you've got the law. There's five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You have 12 books of history. These are the history of the Jewish people, which include their trials, their captivity, and finally their restoration into the promised land. These cover 800 years. There are 12 books there. Positioned near the heart of the, of the Old Testament are the five books of poetry. Amen. I want you to know that if you need... Uh, anything to excite you, you can read the Bible. If you need, uh, if you need a drama, you can read through the book of Job. You can read through uh, the book of Genesis, and you can find all sorts of things going on there. If you need a love story, you can go and find yourself a place in the Song of Solomon. You can find a replication of the greatest love story ever told. The next are the major prophets. Now, there's five books dedicated to the major prophets, both are including the future and the coming Messiah, prophecies of the coming Messiah, the church age, and the end of time. And then last but not least are the minor prophets. Now, some have asked, why do we call those the minor prophets? Well, because the books are shorter. And, uh, and so it has nothing to do with whether or not their prophecies were more powerful or whether or not they were uh, whether or not their book was better. It just simply comes down to the fact that their book was shorter. And so uh, I think if I was to write one, I'd probably be that minor prophet right there. I, I, I think writing the book would be a little easier to write it on one page. Amen. And so these minor prophets were declaring God's message of warning and instruction. As we look through this, we find that there are 39 books in the Old Testament. For those that want to understand how uh, to remember, the word old contains three letters, and the word testament has nine letters. Place the two digits side by side, and you have three and nine, 39. So if you ever want to know how many books are in the Old Testament, you will find it. So we've got many writers, but I want to point this out. We've got one author. That author is God. Amen. The Old Testament was written over a period of 1,400 years by 32 different writers and covers events spanning approximately 3,600 years. Let me just say this. When you hold a Bible... You are holding one of the world's oldest collection of books. In fact, the book of Job is in the top three oldest books. I think the only one above it is the Chronicles of Gilgamesh, which was a Sumerian book. When you are holding this, and it sits and collects dust on some people's nightstands, amen, you are holding a, a culmination of human history. Atheists have read this book because inside of this book there's history. Inside this book there's geography. Other religious texts... You cannot find what you find in the Bible. Their, archeolo their archaeology and the geography is all made up. But when you look through the Bible, you are seeing exact locations. You are seeing people that actually exist. And you are seeing a culmination of human understanding and wisdom. This is why when you read the book of Proverbs, great thing to get in the habit of. The uh, book of Proverbs uh, has 31 chapters. And, and the most days in a month is 31. So if you want to know, well, Pastor, what, what should I start reading? Well, just read one chapter a day in the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. 
and you'll find a lot of things that'll help you live a better life. Amen. And so the Bible is a culmination of incredible books, and it covers the Old Testament alone, 3,600 years of human history. Although each writer comes from all sorts of backgrounds, they perfectly harmonize one with another. Amos was a country preacher. Isaiah was a brilliant court preacher. Moses was the heir to the Egyptian throne. David was a king and composer. Solomon was noted as the wisest man who ever lived. And still there are no contradictions in their writings. Because there's 39 books, but one author. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Amen. It says this, if you want to turn in your Bibles. The Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Words were penned in different ages, different countries, and by different men. Some of them never saw each other or even knew what the other had written on the same subject. And yet when their writings became one book, not one contradiction exists. I, I wonder here today what would happen if we took 40 medical doctors from different countries and different time periods and we asked them to give a their diagnosis of a treatment to any particular disease. Do you think that they would agree? No. Because even just about 100 years ago, they were still lobotomizing people. Thank God for aspirin. <laughs> so they would not agree. Each would be asserting that they are right and that the others are wrong. And their theory must be the right theory, and it must be the only theory. But yet, when we talk about the Bible... There is a perfect unity amongst the books of the Bible. This proves that although there were many writers, there is but one divine author for all 66 books. Who but God could produce such a work? Most of the Bible was written under difficult conditions. It was produced in pastures and prisons. Unlike uh, uh, most writing situations, the writers had no typewriters, no pens, no computers, no, no paper. They had to use quill or bone pens on parchment or skins, often only with a candle or a primitive oil lamp. When they penned God's message to the human race, all of those things should have been eradicated by the decay of our world, and yet they exist, and we hold them in our hands. We have uh, many translations on our phones. I want to tell you, God divinely inspired his word. Now, I, I, I said this a little late to Brother Worley, but uh, if you want it, I can send it to you later. That There is uh, a picture I saw a little while ago, and it shows, uh, it's going to be real small, you won't, probably won't be able to see it, but there is what it looks like a rainbow of different colors. This is every cross-reference from the Old Testament and the New Testament back to each other. There are over 65,000. This is the first hyperlink book. This is the first Wikipedia. Now, it's actually accurate, unlike Wikipedia. And so you don't get that in any law book, any textbook. You don't get that from any other religious text. You only get that from the Bible. Amen. Now, there's three eyes of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Amen. You're going to get real good at turning in your Bibles. We're going to go through several things. Now, as we get into the Bible study, I want you to know I'm going to go a little slower. I don't want to take, I, I do want to take our time. I'm not trying to rush us through this. And so some of the lessons uh, in Search for Truth, it says this is lesson two. Well, unfortunately, that covers a huge span of history. And so we're probably going to take our time on, on them and maybe cut them into different lessons. Amen. But if you ever want to rush through them, you certainly can. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Amen. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The biblical word for inspired in Scripture means breathed out by God. Just as God breathed. As we study in the Bible, when God created man in his own image, man was nothing more than a shell. Until God breathed in him the breath of life and man became a living soul. The very breath that we received in Genesis to become a living soul is the very breath that breathes Scripture into existence. And it is the very breath that we've received in Acts chapter 2, the pneuma, the breath of God, which is the Holy Ghost. Amen. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you have literally received the breath of God. And your dead, 
dead in uh, sins and trespasses self can come to newness of life. Amen. Apostle Peter describes this process in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Now, if I was teaching you one-on-one, we'd be, uh, I'd be having you turn to a bunch of these. Uh, you can look these up. I'll give anybody all of my notes. In fact, you can have the chart. You can have the notes. You can go back and study it for yourself. And uh, if you have any questions, you can come see me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is by any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. God breathed out his word by using godly men to write down exactly what he wanted them to write. Christians, we use several, three different words really to describe what we, when we talk about the Bible. The most common words that we use when we talk about the Bible is inspired. Everybody say inspired. Everybody say inerrant. And everybody say infallible. Amen. Let me explain what these words mean. Inspired. When we say the word of God is inspired or the Bible is inspired, it means God is a definitive author. While God used human beings to record his words, he himself is behind what they wrote. God did not just inspire big ideas behind the Bible, but, he, the, but the very words of Scripture itself. To be clear, we don't believe that these human, ro- uh, these human writers were robots uh, or that they fell into a trance and mindlessly penned. But we do believe that God breathed out his message the same way that he breathes out the Holy Ghost to us. And as they went, they recorded what he wanted them to record, making them more than less just the the writers and not the author. When we say inerrant, the Bible is inerrant, we say and we mean God used these human authors to pen exactly what he wanted without any mixture of error. God used these men with all of their personalities, writing styles, and accumulated vocabularies, life experience, illustrations, and metaphors to express his message. In this way, the Bible has dual authorship, God and men. Yet we recognize that it is God himself who is behind the Bible's message and authority. Now, let me just explain for a moment why this is important. If we start saying the Bible is fallible, or the Bible has human errors, as some have stated, then we cannot trust one thing in the Bible. We cannot trust what it says we must do to be saved. And now it's open for private interpretation. But when we use the word of God to define the word of God, we understand that now we cannot go and pick a verse out of the Bible and interpret it our own way. This is where you get uh, people get off into errors and uh, get off into doctrinal fallacies because they are trying to privately interpret. But the word of God interprets itself. Again, that, that cross-reference. The word of God is sufficient to define itself. Amen. So when we say infallible, the word of God being infallible, we mean God's word is incapable of error. When we accept this, we must accept everything written down in the word of God. Because God is perfect, so is his revelation of himself. God's word will accomplish exactly what he wants it to. Isaiah 55 and 11, he said, So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper the thing that I sent it to do what we believe about God in the Bible are intertwined and cannot be separated what we know about God comes from the Bible and scripture says that God cannot lie if the Bible is God's word to us and he cannot lie his word must also be incapable of error amen this gives us great confidence and comfort the Bible says comfort through the scriptures Amen. When you understand the word of God is infallible, that means it is an unchanging foundation we can rest our entire lives on. When people say I've got an opinion or I've got an idea, that can shift. Amen. But when somebody rests their life on the word of God, it does not shift. It does not change. Amen. Although scripture is inspired, inerrant, and infallible, this does not mean that the readers are infallible. So I want to give everybody here some grace. It is critically important that we handle the word of God with the utmost care and humility. Well, I wanted I read this verse and uh, I took it out of context. This is what it means to me. Unfortunately, uh, that's not how the word of God works. Amen. So we've got the word of God. It has all of these things. Thirty the Old Testament alone, thirty six hundred years of man's history. Amen. Oh, I'm going backwards. There we go. I'll figure this out eventually. Amen. So we've got this from God's hand to ours. How did we get this book? How did this collection of 66 books emerge as one complete work? To imagine a world without the Bible seems quite incredible. 
Amen. However, for the first 2,500 years of man's history, the written word of God did not exist. During this time, there were no inspired writings. How did man function without a Bible? How could he know God's will? Well, first and foremost, orally. God spoke orally with men such as Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And since these men lived before Scripture was written, they received verbal information that confirmed God's will. Next, the handiwork of God's creation. We read in Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God and the handiwork shows forth His glory. Amen. The handiwork of God's creation in the universe illustrates to us God's existence and His love for mankind. This is where Romans later says, does not nature itself teach us? The nature of this world and existence is to teach us that there is a God. Finally, the third realm that we know how they lived was a conscience. Another way of revealing his will was to place within every single man from here all the way back to Moses, Abraham, Adam, amen, a conscience. It is a place where the inner ability to detect what is right and what is wrong. The first written commandment and covenant, we find Moses is the first man to view the written covenant of God atop Mount Sinai. The Lord talked with Moses and his finger inscribed the law on tablets of stone. And then God revealed his, the plan whereby he would preserve the written word for all generations. I want to tell you, this is how God made it up that he was going to preserve the word. The nation of Israel was chosen to preserve both God's written and spoken word. Moses was instructed to place the tables of stone in the most holy and sacred place inside of the Ark of the Covenant. This was the safest place to protect God's written covenant with Israel. Moses was also commanded to have the Levites and the scribes make a copy of the law for their king when Israel would later decide to have a ruler over the nation. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 18, if you could turn there. All the way in the Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him out a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the commandments of the word of this law to do, and these statutes to do them. God did not want a king that did not know the word of God. In fact, it was a responsibility of the king before the priests and Levites to rewrite, uh, let me rephrase that, to take and to copyright over the exact words in front so that any time that king, if he messed a word up, the scribes and the, and the Levites would say, you did that wrong, redo that. So that the king would know the word of God. Now here's what's interesting. I don't know of one king in the Bible that did that. Now I do know of kings that had it read to them. With extreme care, the scribes had to ensure that the king's copy was precisely like the original. Through the, through the following ages, copies and manuscripts were written on clay tablets, wood, leather, animal skins, and parchment. Finally, paper was used for biblical manuscripts. Here's another way we know that God had de determined that we were going to keep the word of God alive. Certain ordinances also assisted in preserving God's word. One commandment required that every Israelite adult child, adult and child, hear all of the reading of God's word, God's written words and written laws every seven years. If you're still in Deuteronomy, we're going to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 9. The Bible says, and Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests of the sons of Levi who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years in the solemnity of the year, release in the feast of the tabernacles. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place where he shall choose, thou shalt read his law before all Israel in their hearing. Everybody from the king to the lowest individual in the kingdom had to know the word of God. I want you to know, well, pastor, uh, you go ahead and memorize it. Just tell us what it says. I want to tell you, I'll do my best. 
But really, it is a requirement of God's people that every one of us learn the word of God. This is why we're doing bread programs. This is why we're uh, trying to eventually start Bible quizzing up. Amen. We've tried that and, and uh, we'll get to it eventually. Uh, but these are all things that we want to do because we want to hide the word of God in our heart. Amen. So I think it's very important that whether you are reading, listening, uh, whatever the case may be, take the word of God and hear it. Read it. If you feel like it, take a page out of the Bible and write it, recopy it so you can memorize it. Uh, I think that's really important. From childhood through the entire lifetime, a Jew would have heard the word of God approximately 10 or 12 times. Had any error occurred between those readings, someone would have notified the priest. This is why I encourage everybody to bring your Bible to church. Because what if I decided to preach to you something that's not in the Bible? People accept well, you must be telling me the truth. I hope I am. I try my best to tell you the truth. But if I quote something that's not in the Bible, and you say, well, I'm going to base my life off of that or my salvation off of that, then we're missing something. So it's important for us to all have the word of God. So then finally, the scribes would copy the law. The Jewish scribes fulfilled their God-given mandate to preserve the scriptures. They had a detailed plan to ensure the accuracy of each copy. Meticulous detail was given to copying each letter. Strict rules were established for all copyists. No word or letter could be written from memory. The scribe, secondly, the scribe must look attentively at each word and then pronounce it before writing. Thirdly, the words and the letters of each section were counted. If the total figure did not balance with the original, the manuscript was discarded. This is how we know the word of God comes to us without error. Now, let's talk about the first printed Bible. In 1488, this careful process uh, continued until the invention of the printing press about the middle of the 15th century in Germany. John Gutenberg devised a, message, a method of arranging the alphabet letters on a plate to create a stamped impressed impression on paper. For years, he worked perfecting his methods. With his new invention, labor and costs in book printing were greatly reduced. Books can now be printed in volume and made available to the general public. We got to thank John Gutenberg. We all got a Bible here today. In 1488, the Gutenberg's first book to be printed was the Bible. Because it was the most important book in human history. It is the most copied book. It is the most stolen book. I remember my car got stolen, and when I got my car back, they stole my CD player, and they stole my Bible. I thought, man, I just added to the numbers, the most stolen book in history. Amen. The word is now in our hands. Because of their precise attention to detail and accuracy, modern scholars have proven that today's Old Testament is the same as it was in ancient times. Nothing has changed. This book was, was a long time in preparation. From the very first day that God spoke audibly to Adam until the Old Testament collection was printed and translated into English. It was a long road, but not by coincidence. God in his divine providence saw our need and sent his word. And it is accurate, it is authentic, and it is pure. Amen. The word of God that we hold in our hands today is not the word of man. It is the word of Almighty God. Amen. So let's talk about the Bible. We're, we're getting closer. I, I've got it kind of scheduled. That's why we're going to probably, probably break it out. I'm trying to get everybody done in about 45 minutes. And you can take and copy these and teach any of this. I'll give you my notes. In fact, I encourage everybody to find somebody and teach this to them. Amen. Uh, and so let's talk about the Bible. It's unique and wonderful. The Bible is, uh, is unique and wonderful. It has been translated more than any other book. In fact, there are organizations right now that are trying to get the, book of the, the books of the Bible in every known language. In fact, I think there's only about 3,600 tongues that it has not yet been translated into. Uh, it's survived time and critics, although it has been analyzed, criticized, and destroyed more than any other book. The Bible is read and loved more today than at any other time in history. Amen. Don't let the world fool you. People are reading their Bibles. Amen. If we've learned anything in the last year with this uh, Asbury revival, there is a resurgence of people that want to know what the Bible says. They want to know about God. There have been people that have tried to destroy the Bible, have tried to 
break it down. They've tried to, in fact, every communist regime has tried to burn the Bible. Every socialist regime has banned or burned the Bible. In fact, right now in our world, there are people even in America that are doing their best. I just saw a thing the other day of, of uh, a Satanist convention where they took the Bible and they were ripping pages out of the Bible and laughing. The Satanist convention here in America. But you know what's crazy about all this? They can rip it. They can burn it. They can throw it in the trash. They can put it in the dumpster. But it's still being read. It's still being propagated. It's still being preached. Amen. Name me another book, amen, from, from that has this, this much history that is still being preached. The Quran, the Quran was written after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Book of Mormon was written uh, within the last 200 years. Man, you go through and find me another book that does what the Bible does. Matthew 24 and 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Why? Because God wrote it. Therefore, there is another amazing difference between the Bible and other books. Authors may pray for God's help and guidance when they write a book. Many good books have been written with God's help, but the Bible was written by God. He's the author. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament writers claim to, to write the very words of God. The Bible is filled with expressions such as God said and the Lord spake saying or the Lord commanded. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37 says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I command, that I write unto you, are the commandments of the Lord. I mean, Paul, the writer of half of the New Testament, said he wrote the commandments of the Lord. This book is inspired by God. Now let's talk about this. All of these things proving that it is real, that it is true. The next level that we know it's true, we saw it happen. The New Testament writers were eyewitnesses of the events that they wrote about. Peter, one of the New Testament writers, assured us, we are not writing fiction because we were there. We saw it happen. Uh, Brother Polar preached a great message about John. He was the last living witness. He said, I saw it with my own hands. He later wrote, we have held the word of God. We have touched the word of God. We have seen the word of God. Amen. It was not something that was done in a corner, as the book of Acts says. Amen. He, as Paul preached before Agrippa, he said this thing was done before the whole world. Amen. Cults, they try to write something in the, in, in, in the secret. They try to come out with golden plates and say, well, I found this somewhere. They try to say, well, I found this when nobody else was around. An angel spoke this to me. But the Bible was not done in secret. It was done out in the open. The Bible, the writers of the Bible were sure, very sure, that the actual uh, direct words of God were being relayed. So let's talk about this. How can we know that the Bible is true? Well, first, we can know it's true by science. Now, people want to say the Bible and science are at odds. I don't believe so. Science is a theory, and they're trying to, they're trying to come up with a theory. In fact, that's all science is. It is a hypothesis. They're trying to come up with the best theory. Amen. And so the Bible is the only book that is accurate in all scientific details. Science textbooks are almost immediately obsolete because science keeps disproving itself, and they keep finding new scientific discoveries. However, the Bible has not been proven incorrect. I mean, in the days of Columbus, men believed that the world was flat. Science taught the world was flat. In fact, there's some folks today that think the world's flat. We're going to pray for them. Amen. If you're here today and you believe the world's flat, we're going to pray for you. Amen. And uh, they felt it was unsafe to go up to the coast because they thought that you would fall off the edge of the world. Doesn't that sound a little wild? Because we're so learned now. Amen. But you, you'd be shocked by the things people believe nowadays. Now they don't even know what their gender is. Amen. And science is now changing on that. It used to be in simple biology, but now it's a spectrum. Amen. They're all on the spectrum. Amen. Uh, praise God. Amen. Yet along in the Bible, it says in Isaiah, he sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Amen. Isaiah, who didn't have a telescope. Isaiah, who didn't have, uh, didn't have uh, the relays that we have up in space. They didn't have the satellites that we have up in space. Could accurately say that, the, he, that, that he sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Okay, let's talk about medicine. Medical science has recently, amen, not recently, but they have made tremendous advances. Uh, greater progress may have been made sooner had doctors sought their treatments, some of their treatments from the Bible. Amen. For centuries, doctors practiced the treatment of bleeding a patient. 
And again, this is not hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We're talking about in the last hundred years. Amen. They believe that bleeding relieved the patient of bad blood. Yeah, that's your great-grandparents. Amen. George Washington only had a cold, but the doctors bled him to death trying to help him. That's medical science. But before men knew anything about the relationship between stress and heart disease, Luke talks about men's hearts failing them for fear. Amen. Luke the physician. We're getting revelation of God. Okay, history. The Bible is the most reliable historical book of all ages. In every detail and account, it is historically accurate. When historians and archaeologists deny the existence of the city of Nineveh, in the 19th century, Sir Austin Leonard found the remains of an ancient city exactly where the prophets of God described that it was. Let's talk about archaeology. The more experts dig and search, the more they affirm the truths of the Bible. During archaeology and during digs and during searches of the Holy Land, they have found the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many have ever heard of the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls? Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948, there was a cave found near the Dead Sea. Ancient scrolls were found inside of it. These scrolls were written almost 2,000 years ago, stored in earthen jars, and have remained unchanged. That means the very book you hold in your hand, if you were to open up to the book of Isaiah and pull up the Dead Sea Scrolls, it would be, if you had it in, in Greek, Aramaic, or in Hebrew, it would be word for word accurate. Well, people just made up the Bible. Okay, they also made up these Dead Sea Scrolls they put in jars and they put in a cave. Amen. And those Dead Sea Scrolls survived all of that. And it matches what has been passed down from generation to generation. At that point, uh, you're just into guesswork. Okay. And so what do all these clues from history mean? They confirm that God's word has been passed untouched through the ages. Ink fades, leather crumbles, and paper tears, but the Bible will live forever. Amen. Let's finally, and, and we're, coming to a, we're coming to a close here, uh, and, and, and we're right on time. Amen. And I'm proving to you, you can do this in 45 minutes. You can sit down with somebody for lunch, and you can teach them this. Okay. The prophets have proved the Bible over and over and over again. When looking through the, biblical, the Bible at prophecies from thousands of years ago, without exception, the prophets have been accurate. We don't have time to read all of the verses. You can go back later. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 4 talks about in the last days there will be immorality on a level that we've not seen. There will be witchcraft, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Wars and rumors of wars. Amen. Imagine in just the last hundred years, World War One and World War Two. Amen. These are massive things that the Bible prophesied would happen. Uh, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, Matthew 24 and 7. False Christ and cults, Matthew 24 and 24. The 666 system, which is coming. We'll talk about that. We've got an entire lesson on biblical prophecy. Revelations 13, 16 through 18. Here's one that is really good that you can go back and you can search and study for yourself. The Bible prophesied that Israel would be gathered back into the land of Israel. And this was prophesied uh, thousands and thousands of years before it happened. Israel has been scattered around the world for about 1,900 years. So how can they ever once again be a nation? Well, in 1912, they started returning little by little until 1948, they actually became a nation again. It is incredible that the Bible has prophesied these things over and over and over again. And we have not even seen all of the things that are going to come to pass. So why is it important for us to know the Bible? And I come to a close here. It is important because inside of it, he said, if you search the scriptures, they testify of me. When we go into this Bible study, we're going to talk about everything from choice. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about all of the things that we as Christians do. We're going to talk about all the things that God asks of us, requires of us. We're even going to talk about things that are coming. But if we if we have uh, if we do not know what the word of God says, we are going to be taken in. And Jesus warned us or these prophecies, Jesus, that I talked about. He, he warned us of false Christ that said, here is Christ. Lo, here is Christ. There is Christ. He said, don't believe them. 
And he said, when you see wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and all, and he goes and starts prophesying what the end time would look like. Paul and Peter later prophesy what the old end time would look like. And John, as he sees what's happening in the end times, prophesies what the world's going to look like. Okay, let's take this for example. We'll get into this when we get into biblical prophecy. That no man will be able to buy or sell unless they have a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. That makes complete sense to us today. But how did John make sense of that? No barcodes, no scanners, no electricity, no computers. And yet John saw that you are going to have something that was going to be able to make purchases to buy and sell in your right hand and your forehead. Anybody here have an Apple Watch? I'm not condemning you. You have an Apple Watch. Anybody here got an iPhone? If you have an Android, I rebuke you. No, I'm kidding. We're Apple stock. Amen. Okay. Anybody here have a credit card or debit card? Okay. If you don't, we're going to pray for you. We're going to live. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to restore our cash. Go for it. If you get in a fire, God bless you. We're praying for you. You can tap your phone and pay for anything. You could tap your watch on your hand and pay for anything. We're not too far off of Google Glasses. Now, people say, well, you're just one of those weirdos. No, I'm just saying John, who could have no idea about any of this, is looking into the future in the Bible. And he's writing down this stuff. And to everybody through the years that, that they say, well, there's, there's just no way. How's it going to happen? Until now, there are jobs and employers that are injecting RDIF, I think, uh, chips into people's hands so they can clock in, clock out, go in and out of work. I'm not saying that that exactly will be the mark of the beast. That's not what we're talking about here tonight. What I am saying is that the Bible prophesied about it, which means we really need to know our Bibles, folks. Because if we're not careful, let me just put it out here. In, and, and this is not a political statement. I am not making my own opinion known. I'm just saying in 2020, it started become propagated that if you did not take a shot, that you were going to be in trouble. Now, if you took the shot, that's, I'm not against you. I'm not against you. If you didn't, I'm not against you either. It was one of the most divisive times in the church because there was one group saying this, one group saying that, and I'm just trying to preach the gospel, praise God. Uh, and one was for it, one was against it. You, you know, there's some folks got 50 boosters. Now, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but, but what happens when they say you must take this chip or you must take this number or you'll lose your job? In fact, I had to do some exemptions for some folks that did not want to go that direction. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not making a statement. I, have, I'm, I try to stay very neutral in this. But what will happen, because it will happen, if in our lifetime you, lose, you have to decide on whether or not you will eat or you will take a mark? Whether or not you will own your home anymore or own any money in your bank account or take a mark. And, and previous generations have laughed. But now with all of this Bitcoin, with all of these uh, cryptocurrencies going towards a cashless society. And listen, I, my weakest point of theology is eschatology. So I, I'm one of those, um, I'm, I'm pan-trib. I just hope it pans out. <laughs> and I hope I make it, praise God. But we will talk about some of this stuff. So you've got to know your Bible because if not, you'll be taken in. And, and there will come a point where uh, maybe we haven't hit the line, but they're just pushing us a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And they're conditioning the next generation to not say no. And now it's just, well, this is just what we do. We, everybody does this. Uh, and, uh, and so we've got to be very conscientious. We've got to learn the word of God. Amen? Amen. So that's my 45-minute mark. Amen. I prayed that it blessed you. Let's all stand across this building. That is the introduction to the Bible. I want to encourage somebody tonight to go home. If you don't have a Bible, get on Amazon, buy yourself a Bible. If you do have a Bible, dust, the, uh, dust it off and open it up and start looking through the pages. And God's going to bless you with a, a fresh word, amen, from an old word. Amen. And uh, we're going to be getting into uh, the, the book of Genesis coming up. So if you want to do a little homework. And you can write down, uh, just kind of read Genesis chapter 1 over this week. Uh, that will help you to get ahead of the game. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to read the Word of God this week. And we're going to come back next week for Bible study. But I want us to pray. And we're going to do this after every Bible study, whether I teach on just uh, biblical understandings or we're talking about Cain and Abel. We're going to pray because we still believe in coming to the altar and we still believe in praying. And so if you are thankful for the Word of God, I want you to lift up your hands as we begin to worship the Lord and thank Him.
Thank you, Jesus, for your word. David said, how shall a young man cleanse his way? And he answered and said, by taking heed according to your word. He said in Psalms 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I want to hide your word in my heart so that when sin tries to come and tempt me, I don't sin against you. Why? Because I know your word. David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God, I believe that right now, if I will open your word, you will illuminate where I am and you will illuminate where I'm going. Amen. Your word is a shield unto them that put their trust in you. God, I thank you for the word of God. Every word of God is pure and it is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Amen. The word of the Lord is perfect. Amen. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I pray, God, that as we read the word of God and study the word of God, amen, through this rest of this year, that, Lord, it would convert our souls, God, that the commandments of the Lord would be right, rejoicing the heart. I pray that you would put this so deep inside of us, God, amen, that it would be the engrafted and grave word of God, which is able to save our souls. I would encourage you to come down to this altar, and we're going to pray that God would give us a passion and a burden, amen, to read his word and to share his word with somebody else. Would you come and pray? Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on, let's pray. The Word of God can change your life. The world, the Bible says, we, by faith we know the worlds were framed by the Word of God. No matter how, how chaotic your world might be, if you can get the Word of God working in your life, it'll start putting things back in place. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus prayed for them, and he said, open their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. God, open our understanding here tonight that we might understand the Scriptures. Oh, come on, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your word. Come on, that's it all across this building. Let's pray and let's thank him. Come on, young men. It's not time to be on Facebook and Instagram all night. Grab a Bible. Grab a Bible. Come on, mom and dad. I know you can, you can entertain the kids with the iPad, and, and there's times where you're going to have to do that, but what happened if you just open the Word of God in your home and just write this Word upon our hearts, God? Come on, young man. Come on, young lady. Let's, let's dig into the Word of God so we can change this generation. It's the only thing that's going to endure. It's the only thing that's going to make it. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, Elder. This is my daily bread. You're about, you, you, we, we got to get that word even in the older generation. Let, don't let it die with you. Don't let it die with you. This Share it with somebody. Teach it, with, teach it to somebody. Bread. You learned it. You've experienced it. Men of God have taught it to you. Teach it to the next generation. This is the end. 
This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. You're praying, I want you to keep praying. I taught you a lot of facts here tonight. And the point of the Bible study is to teach you facts. And preaching is to help give a little bit of experience, share that with you. Let me just give a little, little tidbit of my life. Coming from a drug home, I walked into an apostolic church. And they taught me about being baptized in Jesus' name. And I, I, I didn't argue. I just said, if it's in the Bible, sure. I don't really know much. They said, but if you get baptized, we'll give you a Bible. They didn't know the monster they were about to create. <laughs> a little Frankenstein, praise God. But you know, I went back home to that drug home with this brand new Bible. Last year, my wife got it rebound for me. It was, by the time I was done with that thing, it was missing pages. Pages were ripped out. The entire thing was split in two. I was 13 years old. The kids don't want to read. You're right, most kids don't want to read. I, I actually, if I be honest with you, I hate reading. I prefer listening. But I had such a hunger for God that if you will, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, if you have a hunger for God, you will get in the Word of God. 13 years old, I opened my Bible. I opened my Bible and started reading one page a night. And I made that a habit in my life. You know the times where I was slipping the most, Brother Machado? When I got out of that habit. You know the times I was most backslidden on a pew? When I got out of that habit. You know when I got back on fire? I got back on that habit. I'm not pastoring today because I'm better than anybody in this building. I'm pastoring, A, because God called me to. And because I kept reading His Word. There's people that feel the call of God. And they're saying, well, I'll read the Word of God when I get an opportunity. No. You engraft the word of God now and the opportunity will come. Amen. So I'll never forget reading my Bible on page of night. Let me just explain real quickly some of those nights. Some of those nights the cops were being called. Ashtrays were being thrown. Curse words and cussings. Had to walk out and, and, and defend my mother. Where's my Bible sitting on my bed on the floor? And when that was done and dad got hauled off to jail for the 15th time, I went back in there and grabbed my Bible. There's some times where I'd, I'd open my Bible and fall asleep on it. If you ask Pastor Hood what's his number one passion aside from souls, it's the Word of God. They got me involved in Bible quizzing. I, I thought you were supposed to read the verse. I didn't know you were supposed to memorize it. But I just started memorizing it. I want to tell you, it's a good habit to memorize the word of the Lord. It's a good habit. It's not difficult. If I were to ask some folks right now that love music, quote me your favorite song right now. Some folks will quote some that aren't even in church. Praise God. Ain't no word for word. So don't tell me you don't got the recall for it. You do. What it comes down to, though, is do you have the dedication for it? But all of that being said, time and time and time again, we'll just read the word of God. Read the word of God. Read the word of God. And no matter what I was going through, from abuse at home to the death of my father to being homeless and not knowing where to go. You know what? I walked out of that, that apartment. I had a sack full of clothes, 19 years old, had nowhere to live, had to move in with the family of the church. I had a sack full of clothes and a Bible. It's all I owned at 19. But can I tell you, Brother Jonathan? It was more than sufficient. And if I had to do it all over again, I sure hope I don't. If the house burns down, I'm going to grab my wife. In this order. I'm going to grab my wife, my Bible, then my cats. Praise God. I'm not grabbing, I'm not grabbing anything else. Now, if I can, great. I'm gonna grab the, I'll let the microwave might be what started it, praise God. 
You know why? Because this is the priority. Amen. Would you lift up your hands one more time as we pray? Father, we love you. We thank you tonight. Thank you for your word. And thank you for a group of hungry people that have come to learn your word. And I pray, God, that you would teach and instruct us. God, help me to teach in a way where we can all receive. And I pray, God, that you'd bless us, continue to bless us with your word. Give us a hunger for your word, a hunger for your spirit. I believe that if we will get a hunger for the word of God, our church experience will be that much better. Our walk with you will be just that much better. I pray God bless us to bring us back for revival. Help us invite somebody to come as, as Brother Arielis preaches to us. And God, I pray that you pour out your spirit and fill somebody with the Holy Ghost and baptize them in your name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. I want to encourage you to invite somebody this Sunday and start inviting people to this. We're getting ready to get in the book of Genesis. And if you've got people that, that have had questions about the Bible, uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to do this. We're going to put a box out in the back. If you had questions from this Bible study, you can text them maybe. But I'm going to put a box out there where you can actually put your questions from the previous week. And we'll be able to answer some of those questions. Amen. God bless you.